Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And this week I want to start the show with an apology. Oh, You remember the call we had from John? He lived in Tennessee, and he wanted to talk about whistle pigs, the term whistle pig, Mm -hmm. and and how that's another name for groundhog. Mm -hmm. Well, in that call, I mentioned marmots, Mm -hmm. and I said that they were small and Mm mouse-like. And we got an email from David Bainbridge in Mira Mesa, California. And David writes, You have slandered marmots by saying they are small and mouse-like. Our western marmots are magnificent creatures, lovely golden fur and chunky, up to 12 pounds. They do whistle. I've watched them at work, asleep in the sun, and at play in the Sierra and Colorado Rockies. One of my favorite memories is of a couple of young marmots enjoying sliding down a snowy slope in spring. They would romp back to the top to go down again. Another time in Colorado, we found two marmots living in old, quite large boilers from a long-abandoned mine. They looked like crew members on a steampunk submarine. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) David, you'll be happy to know we put up a fine (laughs) specimen of a marmot to to illustrate that entire episode, we all did right? indeed. So thank you very much for your email. That was an excellent apology, Martha. <laughs> I'm sorry you. I laughed, but David, <laughs> you're cracking me up, dude. <laughs> the art of the apology. Even marmots deserve apologies, or especially marmots. We'll take calls from you and any marmot, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is Joe Fisher, and I'm calling from Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the show. Hello, Joe. What's on your mind? Well, I have this word that I've been uh, wondering about. From my, I originally come from a little town called Aberdeen, South Dakota, and uh, we have a primarily uh, Scandinavian background. And my grandparents would always throw around this word called oofta, and uh, basically, a, you know, an exasperation kind of like, oh, I got to walk up this hill, oofta, you know, that kind of thing. And I'd always ask, what's the actual definition or history of the word? And they would always say, well, Oofta means oofta. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's helpful. Oofta uh-huh. means oy vey. <laughs> yeah. Oy vey. Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and so what other circumstances would you hear this? Um... Mostly in uh, times of uh, <laughs> when you're being tested. It's like, oh, I got to, you know, I got to go out and shovel 15 feet of snow. Oofta. Oof. Or, oh, today was a long day. We did, you know, nothing but making lutefisk and lefsa. Oofta. <laughs> <laughs> What's a lefsa? I know what lutefisk is. It's basically a flat uh, pastry kind of. I'd have to remember exactly how they made it. You put butter on it and sugar and you roll it up and very oh, quite okay. tasty. Yeah, sounds like You get the taste of lutefisk out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. And it seems to come from Norwegian. Mm-hmm, yeah. U-F-F. And the next word is D-A, da, oof, da. And it means exactly what you're saying. It's an expression of surprise or disgust or pain or or something that, I don't know. How would you describe it, Grant? A word that... Yeah, um, I think the dictionary say disgruntlement or unhappiness or <laughs> concern or disagreement. It's like just 
anything on the negative spectrum of emotions. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's mostly heard in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and it spawned a whole industry, really. I mean, if you do a Google image search, there are so many products from that area yeah. that, uh, you can that get have oofta on them. I think you can get oofta on a casket now. It's just everything <laughs> can have oofta on it. I always use it to uh, test uh, the people tell me they're from the Midwest. I'll use it as like a code word. I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know what oofta means? Uh-huh. And they go, oh, yeah. There I go, go, okay. And if they're there like, no, and I go, yeah, you're not really from the Midwest. Yeah, classic <laughs> yeah. shibboleth, right? Yeah. Just proving that they're insiders. Yeah, right. You might want to get the T-shirt that says, what part of oofta don't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> That's pretty much what we know about it. I mean, if, if you go to Minnesota and Wisconsin, you will definitely be understood. If yeah, you say, it does trickle in some of the neighboring states, yeah. the Dakotas, Iowa, but mostly in those two states yeah. where all the Scandinavians settled. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Joe, thanks for your call. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so very much. All right. Cheers now. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oofta. Oofta. That's what I call a chamber of commerce word. Everyone knows that it's their word and belongs to their community, and they're really proud of it. And yet, it's still used unironically and unselfconsciously and as a matter of normal conversation. Well, isn't it wonderfully expressive? Yeah. I mean, just the vowels and the consonants. I I would put uh, It's like the sounds you make when you you have to get up, but you don't want to get up. That's how I think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Hit the snooze button one more time. (laughs) We know they talk funny out your way. We know you say things that your grandparents used to say. Share it with us. 877-929-9673. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name's Sarah. I live uh, right near Appleton, Wisconsin. Okay, cool. All right. Are there lots of apples there? I've always wondered about Appleton. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> oh, too bad. Really? No, there's a... Uh, a lot of cows and well, that's <laughs> just nice. like anywhere else in Wisconsin. Okay. But, yeah, a it's a beautiful cheese. place to live. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. So what is up? What is on your mind? Well, um, a while ago I was listening to one of your shows, and you are talking – somebody was asking about weird and unique things that family members say. Um, kind of – I guess I guess wondering along the lines of are they normal things to say or did just that one person make it up? Right. And my uncle had, had always some unusual things that he would say, and so I was wondering along those lines. If it's something that he just said himself, or if it was a thing. Oh, what is it? Okay. Well, one of one of the things he would just kind of blurt out at random intervals. He would say, "The worm has turned." He would say that a lot. And just, I, it wasn't. I, I have no context to give that to you in because sometimes it would just be a random interjection. Really? But the worm has turned. What do you say? I'm imagining him saying, "I'm laughing at my," because in my head he's saying this in a dramatic moment where drama is not required. <laughs> he's just like the you know. Worm yep, yep. Has sometimes turned. that would be exactly right. Yep. He, but, but he he um he was never off of his soapbox. He's that kind of fellow. Okay, but it's <laughs> a strange non sequitur. It really is. That's yeah. a strange thing just to throw into conversation. Yeah. Did you talk mm-hmm. with him about it at all? No, no. When when he started, you just kind of sat and listened. I see. Yeah. <laughs> and it never occurred to me to to ask about it until. As I said, this other show, people were talking about funny things that relatives said. And I thought, yeah, he said some weird stuff. And I never knew what he was talking about. That is pretty funny. I've never heard of it being just thrown out at <laughs> random intervals. Well, it could have, like I said, he, he he could have been ranting for a good time about a variety of things. And I just 
Yeah, tuned him out. And then, the that call, yeah. and then when you tuned it back in, he was saying... The worm has turned. The worm has turned. We know a little bit about that, yeah, though, we, don't we? We do. Yeah, the turn in this sense has to do with striking back if you're, if you're attacked or harassed over a long period of time. Uh, it goes back to a proverbial saying, even a worm will turn meaning even the lowliest creature, if you bother it long enough, if you pester it long enough, it's going to turn and fight back. Turn on you, to turn on somebody. Right, right, Uh, right, to turn on you, to turn against you. And you'll be pleased to know that your uncle's expression goes all the way back to Shakespeare. No, well, (laughs) that's fantastic. Shakespeare, where? How about that? Um, In Henry VI, part Three, there's a little passage where um, where one of the characters is talking about how the smallest worm will turn being trodden on, and doves will peck in safeguard of their brood. So something wow. small will yeah. get its revenge, and yeah. something gentle as a dove will right. also fight back. Yeah. Wow! When you don't that, you know that cast my uncle in a whole new light. It does. <laughs> He's been quoting Shakespeare all this time, and I didn't realize it. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I might have to share that with him. I think he might be surprised himself. <laughs> well, cool. What he's been saying. I'll let you guys know as soon as I as soon as I catch up with him. All right, thanks, Sarah. I think you can find him on Thank his soapbox. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. We all have the talker in our lives. We all, we all do. There's somebody yep. everywhere. There's, the guy, and, and it's the repetition that bothers me. It's the entertaining the first time. And the second time, you're like, oh, I think I've heard this before. And the third time, you're like, oh, my God, is this car locked? I need to get out of here. Is this car locked? 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. I love this way that English speakers have of elaborating on phrases to make them even more powerful. I was looking at a dictionary of words from the Old West the other day, and there was the phrase raise hell, but then there were elaborations of it. And my favorite was raise hell and stick a chunk under it. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Just right. like raise hell and prop so it up like a little bit. So like bringing up, putting a wagon up and put a chunk under it so you ah, can work there you underneath, go. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or raise Mary Hell and put a shingle on it. <laughs> Right, like raising a house, right? Yeah. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, This is Garrett calling from San Diego. Hey, Garrett. Hi, Garrett. What's up? I had a question about something that my great-grandma used to say. If you asked her a question, she would say, you bet your boots or you bet your britches. So this was her way of just affirming something for you? Like you were having a conversation and she really firmly believed something, she might say, you bet your boots. (laughs) <laughs> just like that. <laughs> okay. And you were curious about origins or anything else on that? Yeah. Or if anyone else said that or she just made that up. No, no. Oh, it's no. super common. That's definitely um, something a lot of people have used. It, it, it connects to this larger trend in American English where gambling culture is interwoven. For example, oh. um, you might say... Oh, I'm so tired, you know, after a long day of gardening. And another person might say in response, I bet, meaning, yeah, you are. Or, are you ready to go? You betcha. Uh, you bet. I am ready to go is what that right. means. Or you can say somebody somebody is holding all the cards, right? If they're holding all the cards, that means that um, the situation is really ideal for them and they're likely to get what they want. 
Or you might say somebody's um, not playing with a full deck, which means that they are not acting like a normal person would. But this particular phrase is about putting everything on the line. You bet your boots, you bet your britches. Imagine a card table where you're out of money, you're out of chips, um, you pawned the gold watch already, uh, there's nothing left. They've, your pink slip for the, for the car is already on the table, but maybe you're wearing a fine pair of boots. Maybe you're wearing some heavily tooled leather boots that are worth a couple hundred dollars. You might literally bet your boots. Or if I'm playing poker, I do not want to lose my britches. I mean, <laughs> no, right. you know, I don't, yeah. don't want to put the. Because I, I we have that as a figurative, right? That he lost his pants, right? Means that he. Right, or he lost his shirt. Lost his shirt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I would think that if you're saying you bet your britches, then it better be a sure bet. Right. 100% <laughs> you don't want to walk sure, out of right. there no without risk. your britches. <laughs> so you don't want to walk out without your boots. You don't want to walk out without your britches. You're Definitely. only. So it's like a really strong way to affirm what you believe to be true. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Garrett. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. Join our community of language exploration. Share your stories as Away With Words continues. Support for Away With Words comes from Lizanne, Fokion, and Chloe Potamianos Homem, proud sponsors of Wayward Inc., the nonprofit that produces and distributes this program. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and in the doorway is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hey, What's John, up? John, come in. Thank you. I'll come right on in. Here I am. I have a seat, and I'll sit, and I'll talk to you guys All for right. a while. It's very nice out, so I'm thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about a road trip. And I'm thinking it's time to hit the road and play the license plate game again. Okay. Which one is this? This is the one where I give you three letters from a license plate of a car going by, and you have to give me a word that contains those letters. Now, usually we play that the letters don't have to be together, but today, to mix things up, we're going to play that the letters do have to be together, Mm. but they must be in the middle of the word, okay? They can't be at the beginning or the end of the word. For example, if I said O-G-E is on a license plate going by, you could say... Together. That contains the letters O-G-E in order. Okay. Together. Here comes a car now. The letters are B-B-O. Abbott. Ooh. Abbott. Right out of the gate, the shortest one I could find. Abbott. Very good. My favorite word with B-B-O in it is shibboleth. Ooh, oh. There we go. I just like that word. Good one. Let's go on to the next one. Number two. Uh, here comes a car, and it says Zen, Z-E-N. Hmm. Not easy. And not zenith, because that's at the beginning. Is there an (laughs) anti-zenith? Oh, Um, good. Mm. Let's say you've got a cold, and your throat is sore. Lozenge. No dose. Yes, lozenge. Very good. If you're out there and (laughs) you're saying uh, benzene, that's that's very nice, too. Oh, okay. Or citizenry. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. How about STC? Mm. STC. Waistcoat. Yes, waistcoat is on my list. Very good. Waistcoat. Oh, nice. I think That's I have good. a yes, and I have a word that is uh, one letter shorter than that. Since we're on a road trip, we might as well send home a postcard. Oh, oh there we go. Postcard. Uh, okay, let's try a couple more. T W O two. No T W O. T W O. Hmm. 
trying that division thing you mentioned. I know. Yeah, it's, it's it helps. In this case, I think it helps to divide between the first letter and the second. Network. Yeah, I was going to say. Yes, oh, network. network. That's the shortest one I could find. Very good. Cutworm. Cutworm oh, is good. good. That's good. Cutworm or cutwork. Very good. Here's the last one. A-C-A. Facade. Facade is wonderful. Yes, nicely done. Jacaranda. Jacar- What's a jacaranda? It's a tree with purple oh, okay. flowers. Very nice. Purple Common flowers. here in yeah. uh, San Diego. Oh, yeah, not in New York so much. Not so much. But I have something slightly shorter than facade. I have a fracas. Oh. But I also have cacao. <laughs> cacao. <laughs> okay. Cacao. All right. Anyway, those are our uh, trio of letters in the license plate game. You guys did really, really well. So are we where there are we yet? now? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough game. No, where are we? <laughs> John, thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Grant. Bye. This is the show where we goof around when it comes to language, so give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send us your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, this is Anita. I'm calling from Lindenhurst, Illinois. Hi, Anita. Hi, Anita. What's up? Well, um, I love my unabridged dictionary, and um, I would have a very hard time parting with it, but I have some questions about it. Oh, we like you already. <laughs> What dictionary do you have? I have the Random House Dictionary of the English Language, the second edition, unabridged, 1987, and it has a dedication to the memory of Jess Stein. Okay, 1987. Okay, so what are your questions? Well, the first thing that that tells you is that was pre-internet. Yeah. So, Mm. you know, our language has picked up a lot of words since then. And it occurred to me, my my unabridged has its own little book stand and and a reverent place here in my office at home. And I love it. But it's really huge. And so I wondered, when we pick up new words, as we have with the Internet especially, in order to keep it from being bulky, do they drop off words? Oh, yeah. That's a, a yes and no answer. I'll just give you that. So the unabridged is a special case compared to all other dictionaries. So we're talking only about these massive dictionaries that try to be as inclusive as possible. All right. So just yep. to make sure our constraints are clear here. I talked to the editors, some of the editors um, and lexicographers at Merriam-Webster about this. Peter Sokolowski, Corey Stamper, Emily Brewster. And what they said is in between the first and the second editions of the Merriam-Webster's Unabridged, some words were removed. But between the second and third, and they're working on the third now, um, they're, they're not going to remove anything because the third edition is going to be all online. Right now, it doesn't look like they're actually going to make it paper. And so oh. the words that are taken out for Unabridged, though, tend to be proper nouns that are lo- no longer significant, or they tend to be errors or things that are so utterly archaic that they're like in one source ever. Like maybe it was like one word used one time in one really rare manuscript from like, you know, 1412 or something. And there's just no reason to include it there. But for the most part, they try to keep as much as they can. Now, smaller dictionaries, now that we're not talking about underbridge, they take stuff out all the time, but they never tell you that. But really, they do. Sometimes they'll take thousands of words out between editions. And for the really small dictionaries, sometimes they're completely new. It's not even, an, it's not even a revision. It's just new content they brought over from another dictionary and, and stripped down to meet the needs, the size constraints and the content, the topical restraints. Now, you're in a particular position here, Anita, with the dictionary that you have, that Random House has long since, decades ago, stopped working on any dictionaries. 
They oh. do they do not update that dictionary anymore. They do not even have a lexicography program. That whole program was canceled in the 90s. And so you will never get an update to that dictionary. Wow, I have a precious edition here. <laughs> well, you do. You know, yeah. you're missing a lot. You were missing a ton of technical, scientific, internet-related yeah. terms. And I'm not talking about OMG and LOL. I'm talking about scientific advances in, in right. DNA and yeah. the chemistry and space exploration. I mean, you're missing probably... I'd say ten to fifty thousand entries easily. So, what, what would you say, if I may ask, um, is, is there a year that is that has already been printed that would be the most updated with all of that information in it? I always recommend two dictionaries. That everyone have two dictionaries because they they each have their own strengths. First, I would get the latest American Heritage Dictionary. Mm -hmm. It is an unabridged dictionary. It's well done. It has excellent etymologies. And then I would probably also get a online subscription to the Merriam-Webster's Unabridged. I mean, if you're looking oh. for utter completeness, I would do those two things. They're very complementary to each other. They, mm -hmm. they, they feed on each other very well. And you can compare their entries side by side and see that they're both well done, and yet they may have a little different nuance that allows you to, at the intersection between entries, maybe understand what you're looking up even more. Plus the so American... We have the best of both worlds yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And the American Heritage Dictionary has much better photos and pictures. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And Heritage does color photos, yeah. and oh, nice! And the Merriam-Webster's traditionally has done um, woodcuts or, or black and white line drawings. Yeah. Well, I have one more question, if I may, and that is that if at some point, because I'm getting older now, and I would hate to see my kids come along after I pass and then just toss my treasured, unabridged out somewhere, is there a place that uh, these dictionaries that are no longer being printed they could be received? and welcomed um, as a donation. I mean, is there a place like that? There is. Well, the dictionary that you have is not particularly rare, or um, they're, they're not going to accept it, probably. You might take it to a bookstore and see if they would buy it, but it's only okay. going to go for a few dollars. But there are places like in Terre Haute, Indiana, there's something called the Cordell Collection, which is a, a really great family connect collection of a wide variety of some incredibly rare and valuable dictionaries, but some are in there just because they um, represent a life's work for a lexicographer or because they're the best of their kind and that sort of thing. So there are places that do record and keep dictionaries for all time. They save them so that the, you know, centuries from or even millennia from now, we will not have lost their contents. Yes, especially as we're going online. I, I just love to think that they are being preserved. Yeah. And Nita, I want to thank you so much. You have such the best questions and they speak to the dictionary editor in my heart. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Our Thanks pleasure. for calling. Bye-bye. 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 We do have dictionary recommendations on the website. If you're looking to buy a dictionary and you want to see more fully my opinions on which dictionaries are good to go, just go to waywardradio.org and look under References. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Carrie Thompson. Hi, Carrie. Where are you calling from? Actually, I'm from San Diego, but I'm actually in D.C. today. Welcome to the show. How can we help? My grandmother, uh, who is very, very superstitious, when we were growing up, she did this thing that has stuck with me and I and I do it in my mentally in my mind whenever it happens but basically whenever we walked in either one of us was on either side of a pole or something kind of divided us and we were on either side she would say bread and butter I have no idea why she said that and it's the funniest thing because now she's gone but eventually whenever this happens I mentally say it in my head as well <laughs> and so I was just curious if this is something that she made up or mm -hmm. where did it come from and is it tied to being superstitious <laughs> do you feel like if you don't say it that something bad will happen 
Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of is the feeling that she um, conveyed when she said that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now you say it mentally when yeah. when you're walking with somebody else, you don't say it out loud? No, with my kids I do, but with people, you know, like with business and stuff like that, I don't say it out loud. Ah, <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, and interesting that you mentioned superstition because because it may have its roots in superstition. Mm-hmm. The notion that these two people should be inseparable and it's sort of an incantation for keeping people together like bread and butter. You can't really separate yeah. bread and butter once they're yeah, once, put once the butter is spread on there. You can find an episode of The Twilight Zone in which this occurs online. Oh, funny. And it's really cool. It's okay. with a very, very young and handsome William Shatner. It's a 1960 oh. version of The Twilight Zone. I think it's called Nick of Time. And in and it's all about superstitions. And there's a moment very early in that episode where he's walking arm in arm uh, with his wife and... And then they're about to go around a lamppost, and, and he pulls her to close to him and says bread and butter, and they go around on the same side. Oh, interesting. But the oh, whole, yeah, the whole episode is about superstition, so I think you'd enjoy that. Oh, definitely got to check it out. In some of the old uh, folklore collections that I found, they talk about it as a way of preventing quarrels. Because if right. you don't say it, you're, meant to, you're, you're going to fight. And they did a survey of uh, people in the, this is in 1907, this publication, and it was fairly common and is a very well-known superstition. It was like the main thing that you said to avoid fighting. But a lot of times people think it's only if you're holding hands to start with. If you're simply walking with them, you don't have to say it. But if you're holding hands, then you do. Oh, wow. And that kind of makes sense because she was born in the 20s. So it's kind of mm-hmm. close to that nineteen, you know, early nineteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. So it is a superstition. What other superstitions did she have? Oh my goodness, uh, she would throw salt over her shoulders mm-hmm. <laughs> at certain times. She also had a thing with the number thirteen, but not as a bad luck, but as a good luck. And she was somebody who enjoyed going to Vegas. And whenever she was in Vegas, she would like count thirteen machines over, and she'd sit at that one. <laughs> That sounds really cool. How interesting. Carrie, thanks for sharing the stories about your grandmother, and thanks for sharing bread and butter with us. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take care. Sure thing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. You know, John Webster's play, The Duchess of Malfi, written in uh, 1623, is pretty dark, but I do like this one couplet. Glories like glowworms afar off shine bright, but looked too near have neither heat nor light. I think I understand that. It's a, a kind of a don't look a gift horse in the mouth kind of. Uh, the, be- the beauties of-, of the world are best seen in the large and rather not in the ma- the micro examination. I, I think they're best seen far away. Yeah. You know, there's that Stephen Crane poem about a man saw a ball of gold in the sky and he climbs up there and it's brass or something like right. that. Right, but from yeah. far away it's a beautiful Yeah, sometimes yeah. Yeah, grass is greener on the other side. Maybe that's why. That's your glowworms <laughs> or specks of light until you get up close and you're like, oh, grubs. <laughs> 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 exactly. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, my name's Megan, and I'm from Monticello, Florida. I had a question about a local phrase. <laughs> a local phrase in Monticello, Florida. I think it might be a misuse. Um, it kind of drives me up the wall when I hear it, and I wanted to know whether that was a, 
a valid emotion to feel. Oh, well, let's hear it. Let's find out. Um, it's on tomorrow, and instead of saying, hey, I'll meet you on Wednesday, I hear people saying, oh, we can do that on tomorrow, and it, it, uh, it definitely gets under my skin when I hear it, and so that's what I was calling about. And there in Florida, you haven't heard it elsewhere, maybe other parts of the South? I haven't ever heard it anywhere else. Okay. If you ever go to Georgia, you may encounter it there, the Carolinas, and the Virginia, because it is known throughout the American South. But the interesting thing is it has roots in dialects in the United Kingdom. And so we're pretty sure that some of those Scots-Irish folks that came over brought it with them to the New World. My assumption was that it came from on the morrow, but I didn't know if the use of it on tomorrow was uh, considered grammatically correct. I think that's a really good um, idea that you've come up with, on the morrow, which is Mm -hmm. an old archaism, an old-fashioned way of saying tomorrow. But it's also patterned after on Tuesday or on Christmas or um, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So there are other ways to refer to time that we you do use the preposition on. And maybe there's some borrowing there as well on the same pattern. But you would just rather hear tomorrow. I'm going to see you I tomorrow. I would just rather hear tomorrow. And I'm from Illinois, so I'm we have a different way of speaking altogether. So this one was... New to me. I grew up in Tallahassee. I've lived in Monticello for about seven years, and until I moved here, I'd never heard it. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's a dialect feature. I wouldn't call it wrong so much as a unusual dialect feature, but it's well chronicled. It's recorded in dictionaries. It's recorded like by people who study dialect. We know some things about it. We've got a hundred plus years of history, um, which kind of puts it well out of the common mistake category. Yeah. So maybe you could just huh. reframe it. And uh, think about Grant and me every time <laughs> yeah. you hear it. and uh, Yeah, do a little field work. Just figure out uh, how old they are, where they're from. Do they always just say on tomorrow or do they sometimes say um, on yesterday? Because that's another one. I've heard on yesterday also. And that one makes me like, that That one like angers me. <laughs> it seems more wrong. <laughs> it just seems so wrong to me. So. Channel that anger into science. <laughs> do field work, you know? <laughs> Channel it into information gathering. Use that anger. But it's a real dialect feature, and kudos to you for being observant enough to catch it and understand what you were hearing. I don't just catch it. It it produces strong emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah, sure. Sure, Megan. I'll uh, I'll keep an ear out for it for sure. Excellent. That's what we want to hear. (laughs) Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, it's hard, that first instinct. and. You know, at the risk of saying something that we say a lot on this show, that first instinct is to say they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. your goal and my goal often is to get people to move one step, at least one step beyond that first initial response. Because that is is not a valuable response. It's not very productive to say they're wrong. We've got to say... Oh, why do they speak differently than me? Right. What What are they doing? Who are they? What kind of learn about them and where they're from? Yeah. And those are productive questions. Exactly. It's like hearing a new interpretation of an old song. I love right. it. Yeah. Right. And we, we're going to say like, it again. You're like, an, oh, in my family, we said that old rhyme this way and you mm-hmm. say it that way. Oh. The world is full of wonder. The world is full of wonder. Share your wonder with us, 877-929-9673. Email all your wonder to us to words at waywardradio.org. And share your wonder on Facebook. We've got a really active Facebook group there. On our Facebook group, 
Patty writes, what phrases do you use when telling someone the equivalent of suck it up, or that's the way the ball bounces, or win some, lose some? She says in her family we said tough toenails. Tough toenails. Yeah, what do you all say in yours, Grant? I can't actually say it on the air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's two of them, and I can't say either one of them either on the air. One. You know, it's so funny because I was looking at this discussion, and there are so many ways to tell people to to buck up, right, to, yeah. to cheer up, uh, suck it up buttercup, rub some dirt on it, toughy beans. Somebody said their granddaddy says them's the sticks, tough noogies, tough darts. Mm-hmm. Also like this one, you knew it was a snake when you picked it up. <laughs> right? That's good, yeah. <laughs> Call us, no snakes here, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, we got an interesting email the other day from Dubai. It's from Erica Solomon, who is originally from Evanston, Illinois. But in Dubai, she works as a writer for a research institute. It's a scientific research institute, and she has to make their research intelligible to a lay audience. Mm -hmm. And she wants writing advice. She says, I really would like your advice on how to improve my vocabulary as a writer. I was not formally trained in journalism and never an avid reader. And everybody says that to improve vocabulary, you should read. Read, 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 and read some more. And while I agree that this would help a whole lot, I just don't have time. I work full time. I have two kids. So I really can't read more than 10 minutes a day. And I usually spend this 10 minutes reading science articles because that's the type of writing Mm -hmm. that she does. I feel it's really difficult for me to really learn a word to the point that I can use it in my own writing. While I understand a lot of vocabulary when I read it, it just doesn't come to me when I write. So the real challenge is being able to retain the vocabulary I read so that my brain can shoot it back at me while I'm writing. So she wants to know how can she improve her writing vocabulary. That's a really great question. I know. I know. I have a lot of thoughts about that. I mean, for one thing, I would say, Erica, that it's a noble goal. Good for you. Yeah, right. Um, The other thing I would say is that it's not easy. I've always appreciated foreign language teachers who tell me that learning a foreign language is not easy. You need reminders of that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing is true for when you're learning new vocabulary in English. And, And so a couple of my suggestions would be just start small with small habits, like anytime you see a word you don't recognize, you've got to look it up. If you're only spending 10 minutes reading a day, you can spend part of that time yeah, look, and, looking it up. You know, I mean, there's really no excuse now that you have cell phones and stuff. Right. You can always have a dictionary at your fingertips. So always look up a word if you don't understand it in reading. Check the etymology because sometimes that can help you remember mm-hmm. uh, what the word means. And um, the other thing that I would suggest is like trying to lose weight or like trying to save money, build it into your routine. I mean, you can subscribe to a Word a Day email. Anu Garg's uh, Word a Day email at wordsmith.org has been around for 22 years. Right, and it's really worth it. It tricks you into, and it's and it's real words. Sometimes they're goofy stuff, but most of the time they're useful. And I would recommend a word a day calendar on your desk. Mm -hmm. I mean, why not? If you've only got ten minutes a day, you've got to put it in all the little corners of the rest of your day. Exactly, exactly. All those little crevices. I would add two things to that, Martha. And one of them is to listen to more radio, uh, particularly public radio. You can Mm -hmm. get a ton of public radio streams online. Yeah, and And the other other one is to, and, and also I would add podcast into that. Yeah. And I don't mean 
casually. I mean, every morning I'm going to listen to a podcast in the shower, or when I am doing dishes, I'm going to have my headphones on mm-hmm. and listen to a podcast. You know, try to multitask. Radio will do that, and you can absorb vocabulary just as easily that way as you can by reading. Mm-hmm. And then the the second part of that is uh, also listening. Books on tape are amazing. Books mm-hmm. on tape, you can find uh, quality literature that entertains you and gives you new vocabulary. Can you go to sleep with it? Um, is it something you can do when you drive? Is it something you can get the kids involved with mm-hmm. as well? You would be surprised how much a book on tape can entrance the whole family and everyone is um, entertained and learning together. It's really true. And if you've got that phone in your hand while you're listening, you can always look up the words. Stop mm-hmm. it and look up the words. Right. So there's tons of strategies here. We know that a lot of other people have gone through this in their lives, said, I need to work on my vocabulary. What can I do? If you have a strategy that we haven't mentioned, let us know, 877-929-9673, or tell us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, hello. Hi, who's this? Uh, my name is John Noor, uh, calling from Poultney, Vermont. How can we help you? I used to live in northern Maine, um, where I was an art teacher. Among all the things that I heard as far as uh, pronunciations um, and word usage, uh, one thing that I heard uh, quite often, not just from students, but also from their parents occasionally, was a uh, grammatical departure. Um, Certain words uh, were used to represent a positive aspect, such as the word isn't actually meant is, and doesn't actually meant does. Hmm. Can you give us a conversation that might have that? So if I was going to go to a party uh, with Michael and, uh, say, Brian, then um, I might say, uh, me and Michael are going to a party, and so isn't Brian. Oh, interesting. So is Brian going to the party? Brian is going to the party. Okay. But I would say isn't instead of is. Interesting. Uh, so and it works for it works for doesn't and won't. Mm-hmm. Won't does it means will. Mm-hmm. And was that confusing for you when you moved there? It was, especially when I tried to uh, correct my students. Uh, they would look at me like you know, I had four arms or three eyes. Okay, yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah, this is a, this is a, the classic way that this sounds is it sounds like a negative that's being treated as a positive, right? Absolutely. Because that mm. that not, that contraction of not, and it almost always exists with an auxiliary verb and not as a contraction, and that's an important part of this. So just to tell you the best source for information on this is the Yale Grammatical Diversity Project, which has a really great entry on this um, academic stuff with real research collected over decades and a map and a variety of things. And one of the things that they talk about at the Yale Grammatical Diversity Project, if you look it up, look for so don't I, because that's a common form of it. They talk about implicature. And what this means is the don't in so don't I is kind of responding to a presumption that the second speaker or the person being talked about isn't the thing that's being talked about. And here's an example that they give at the Yale Diversity, the Yale Grammatical Diversity Project. I play basketball. Yeah, so don't I. And so the kind of implication there is that the first speaker is assuming that the second person doesn't. And the second person is kind of negating that through an affirmation, which is really interesting. Does that make sense? So they're, they're talking yeah. directly to the, the implication that they don't play basketball. At the same time, they're saying they do play basketball. It's really nice. It's a really – once it's explained and, and you start to look at all the different examples, you're like, okay, now I get that. Now that's making sense to me. 
but it's it's still alive and well. We have records back uh, well into the 60s, maybe even into the 50s, um, that show that this particular speech pattern has existed for a long time, and it's just never really left New England except when people from New England like take it to their families. But like, there's no other large community of people that use this particular construction. Well, John, thank you so much for your call. All right, thank you very much. Nice talking with you. Bye bye. Well, if anybody's looked at you like you had four arms or three eyes because of something you said when you moved to a different part of the country, we'd love to hear about it. You can call us at 877-929-9673 or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Essa, and I'm calling from Jackson, Mississippi. Essa from Jackson. Hi, Essa. Welcome to the show. What's up? Hey, I was calling because uh, I moved back to the States last August uh, after living in northern Japan for two years, and I found that there's this Japanese phrase, uh, that uh, you usually say at the end of work, after you're working on a project with other people, if someone else tells you that they've been working on something I guess it has a variety of applications, um, but for me, I found myself stopping from saying it, of course, here where people don't know what it means. Um, usually when uh, someone else was leaving or if someone, like I said, was uh, telling me about projects they were working on to kind of express, um, I don't know, I, I guess we use it to... Uh, Thanks, people, for working hard. The literal translation uh, is sort of like saying, I, I know you must be exhausted, mm-hmm. but contextually, it kind of meant, thank you for your hard work. And, and Essa, what's the uh, phrase again? Can you say it slowly for us? Otsukare samare. Otsukare samares. Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Um, and so, the, so it sounds like a, a, a type of... Um, ritual thinking more than uh or you say it to someone else it basically says you must be tired from all the hard work that you did right right i i guess that's like the literal translation but usually it was meant to like thank people right. for their effort yeah so, so now it just basically feels like a thank you without any other, other yeah. connotations about tiredness or anything like that yeah and, and it's strange because i was trying to think if there was possibly something that we say in english that could replace it we do have similar kinds of formal or ritual things that we say at the end of work across the full spectrum of informal to formal, um, but none of them are quite the same as this. Most of the ritual exchanges that we know in English are about greeting and leave-taking, and those were all really comfortable, but they're really good to look at when we think about when I say, you're welcome to someone, do I actually mean that they're welcome so much anymore? No, not really. These days I mostly just mean, oh, that's the thing I'm supposed to say when you say thank you. And I th- it feels like that's what's happening here with this particular expression. Right. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm interested that this is ritualized. So every day when you left work, somebody would say this to you or you would say it to somebody? I mean, it's a regular thing. Thank you for your hard work. Oh, yes. Um I mean, people would say it when I left the office. Students would say it instead of a greeting. So I guess there's sort of a presupposition that I'm working hard. This is interesting. You know, I Googled around, and there's an article about this on a site 
called Japanese Intercultural Consulting by a woman named Rochelle Kopp, K-O-P-P. And she talks very much about this phrase. And she talks about how hard it is to translate it into English. Because if you said to an American, boy, you look tired from all your hard work, they might take that as an insult. Right. Yeah, so you can't take it literally. Probably. Yeah. And and isn't there also a ritualized leave taking where you say excuse me for leaving first if you're the first person to leave the office? <laughs> there is. That was the one that I would use more often. Oh, really? <laughs> Slack American yes. leaving uh-huh. early. <laughs> uh-huh. What is that one? Yeah. Uh that one is Osaki Reishimasu. Essa, thank you so much for telling us about this. Take care now. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Ron Evett from outside Boston sent us a wonderful quotation about libraries. This one is from Barbara Tuckman. She talks in one of her books about how she became a historian and the fact that it wasn't so much one particular teacher or one particular book she read, but just the whole experience of walking into Widener Library for the first time on the Harvard campus. And she writes... The experience was marvelous, a word I use in its exact sense, meaning full of marvels. The happiest days of my intellectual life, until I began writing history again some 15 years later, were spent in the stacks at Widener. My daughter Lucy, class of 61, once said to me that she could not enter the labyrinth of Widener's stacks without feeling that she ought to carry a compass, a sandwich, and a whistle. I, too, was never altogether sure I could find the way out, but I was blissful as a cow put to graze in a field of fresh clover and would not have cared if I had been locked in for the night. Nice. I knew you could relate I've to that, I've had that feeling, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been to big libraries and small, but they all have that feeling somewhere in them, right? Right. I just know in that next stack is a book that I need, yeah. right? Yeah, and I love the idea of walking in with a compass, a sandwich, mm-hmm. and a whistle. <laughs> Big libraries, (laughs) Bookstores have the same effect on me, but not not quite the same, but close. Yeah, Yeah, but that first experience, I I love that that was her formative experience. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Mike Jolly, and I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Hey, Mike. I'm I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Super duper. Super. Welcome to the show. What's up? My mom always used this uh, term when she was mad at me. Um, and she would say, Michael, I'm going to pinch you ball headed. And she never pulled my hair, but she would reach out and pinch my cheek really hard. And my <clears throat> grandmother said, said the same thing. And I've never heard anybody else ever say this word. And uh, my mom and my grandmother are both from Oklahoma, if that helps at all. And uh, recently my mom passed away. So I started wondering about this saying and if it has any roots, and if so, where are those roots from? Hmm. Well, sorry to hear about your mom. Well, thank you. So she would say, I'm going to pinch you bald-headed, but yeah. she would pinch your, your bald cheek. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? <laughs> hmm. Okay. That's pretty close, yeah. And did she say anything else about it? Did any anything follow that? Um, no, I didn't ask. I just pretty much wanted to get out of there. Oh, I see. Okay, so so she, would she say that when she was joking or when she was genuinely um, upset with something you did? 
genuinely upset with something I did. Well, we see bald-headed a lot in mm-hmm. phrases that have to do with going at something just completely, like acting impetuously without regard to consequences, mm-hmm. uh, going for somebody bald-headed, um, mm. meaning just, just totally, completely. And um, I often see snatch you bald-headed or jerk you bald-headed or grab you bald-headed. Yeah, pinch is really rare, yeah. actually, but I could see how snatch could turn into pinch. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mark Twain used it that way, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact. Snatching bald-headed. And do you get the idea, Martha, that maybe it has something to do with the era when people wore wigs, or at least um, people of importance <laughs> wore wigs? I've wondered about that, going at somebody bald-headed, meaning their wig might come off. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I think I think also the notion of bald-headed being completely devoid of hair, something that's 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 totally and completely Right. Occurred. Well, yeah, and that bald-headed, that, that slangy version of bald-headed that you were talking about, going after something completely without regard for your safety or anything else, also kind of converts into a bald-headedness that, uh, to be bald-headed is to um, do something without any preparation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to snatch you bald-headed could mean you're not going to know when I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, she, she made it. Pretty clear. Yeah. She was upset with me when I was a child. And so, you know, she would uh, take care of matters right then and right there. So uh-huh. I don't I don't know that that one's true, but I can see her, you know, doing it all out. You know, yeah. the, exactly. first, sort of the first definition that you gave. Right. You know, <laughs> it, we do have it in the historical record as far back as the 1860s, probably earlier. And it kind of comes up in jocular newspaper columns or uh, Mark Twain style writing, you know, the the rust, the the pretend rustic who is providing the kind of Will Rogers type of commentary on the politics okay. and the situation yeah. of the day. That, kind of rambunctious. Yeah, that sort of colorful language that, that goes kind of hand in hand with a lot of other kind of goofy talk. And you, you had said earlier that Mark Twain used this phrase, but it was the snatch you ball headed phrase. Yeah, that's right. by far the okay. most common variant of mm-hmm. it, by far, like probably... A hundred to one. Mm-hmm. But I do okay. like pinch. I might have to borrow that pinch one. Pinch your bald head. <laughs> when Martha and I have done this call in the past, I think for weeks afterward, we're, we just go around muttering to ourselves, I'm going to snatch your bald head. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just waiting for the right opportunity to come along so you can actually uh, use it's it. It's too good, right? It's too late in Grant's case. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not completely bald. No, you're not. You're No. <laughs> All Mike, right. thank okay, you so much well, for calling. Thank you guys a lot. I appreciate the uh, the history, and I'll keep listening to your show. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate Thanks, it. Mike. Take care. Thanks a lot. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye. Call us at 877-929-9673 or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. 
Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.